الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين ولا عاقبة للمتقين ولا عدوان إلا على الظالمين وصلوات الله وسلامه على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Come on, bring this uh, close up to here. Bring right, right up to here. Yeah, come forward and keep as close as possible. Okay. Yeah, Sonia. Uh, okay, guys. So, Zakallah um, um What I want to do today uh, is two things. Number one, just finish off one or two points from last week. And then after those are finished, then we'll start a new chapter. And it's a big chapter. Um, an important one because obviously it's from the conditions of the prayer but also because it has a direct impact in uh, matters every single day and that's the matter of awrah, okay, and all of the issues related to that and we'll go in heavy with that um, because um, you know the matter of clothing and, and these kind of things um, will we'll take it out of its specific nature which is for the salah here, and we'll make it the issue of aura in general, and clothes in general, and so on. And so we'll take some time on this, bi'ithnillah. Um, it's about 108-odd pages, actually, in Al-Mumti'ah. So, you know, that's going to be going on for a long time anyway. Okay? But there's a few things that we still want to finish off just from last uh, from last uh, week, inshallah. And I also, also have the chocolates that... Uh, you guys thought that I nicked last week, yeah? Okay, not a single one had any good opinion of me. Um, there's two boxes here. Okay. But, but no, they weren't three. They weren't three. They weren't three. Not only were they, they weren't they three, but you should know not to do that to me. Because then I'll say that there were four, and I gave them to you first. Huh? So where's the fourth one? Which, if you remember, was what Mughir ibn Shu'ba did to the guys who tried to play him. Huh? Remember that? In Aladab Mufrit, who remembers that? Anyone remember that? None of you? Only Amjad there, man. Old timer. He mentions that current because he's too busy recording. If you go back and listen to Aladab Mufrit season one, I gave a story in the biography of Al Mughir ibn Shu'ba that uh, when he was put in. Huh? What's that? So no, this is what I, this is why I, this is what I want to talk about. I want to talk about exactly that point. So Mughir ibn Shu'ba, he was put in. Uh, he became uh, Sayyidina Umar bin Khattab made him governor. I think of Bahrain. I think of Bahrain, if I can remember. And um, and uh, basically, some of his enemies they were not happy with him. Uh, Mughir ibn Shu'ba was older, wiser, and he was Yani. Uh, he was a player, proper, yani, you know, very experienced Banda, yani, you know, no one messed about with him. Um, very wise, very sharp, very kind of, you know. And anyway, some people, yani, some not good people, they <laughs> wanted to try and uh, uh, frame him. And yani basically they wanted him out. So they, they trumped up some corruption charges. Okay? So, I mean, I can't remember it, the, the story now exactly. We were talking about 10 years ago when I, I last read it and I, and I taught it. I never went back to it again. But just Zafariani, he's trying to play me. That's what I'm just trying to say. <laughs> the story went something like this, that he said, I mean, I, I mean, whatever I say, the point is, is that the principle is the same. The guy basically said, in a letter to Sayyidina Umar, 
okay, that I just want to state to you, this guy is a fraud and a cheat, Mughira, uh, okay, radiallahu an, and he gave me, and, and to keep me quiet, he, from the Baytul Mal, he gave me a hundred thousand dinar and told me to be quiet. Told me to be quiet. So Sayyidina Omar, obviously, when he received that, and Sayyidina Omar used to get you know, a lot of this, you know, issues. There was a lot of politics that went on that time, having to give it to different people, change different people, this and that, whatever. He's very good at managing people, and sometimes just to deal with the problems. And so he said to him, uh, so he realized this is serious, so he summoned Diani for a little kind of, you know, court kind of session, whatever. And obviously, the guy comes and he repeats again, Yani, you know, under oath as such. And Mughira goes, there's only one thing uh, uh, which is wrong here. I completely accept what he said. And everybody goes, <gasps> but actually, I gave him 200,000 from Beit Filman, <laughs> not 100,000. So, you know, I'm, I'll take the hit for it. Amir Mu'minin, I'll take my hit. Yeah, whatever punishment it is, but it was 200,000. So the guy then realized that he was dead now, yeah? And he's also getting his hand chopped, Yani. So he goes, no, no, I just want to say that he gave me nothing. <laughs> he gave me nothing. I lied. I made it up completely. So no one could play Mughira bin Shu'aba. And Zafar, Yani, tried to play me just now. So he should now, next time, not... not uh, <laughs> a hundred lashes. No, at least a hundred lashes. That's just to start with. Yes. So anyway, the second point was is that because that they are uh, of the Hakim... Sean, he gave two boxes of chocolates. There's a mistaken kind of understanding going around that one is meant to be for the sisters and one is meant to be for the brothers. Now, considering that I can count these girls on two hands, okay, and I, have, um, I would need three, three people with all their toes and hands over here, that's clearly not insaf, clearly not adil, clearly not correct. So I think what we'll do is that we will uh, open up, we'll chuck five or six over there, okay, uh, ten, no problem. Ten. We'll give them ten sweets, and the rest will go to al mustahiqin the people who deserve it correctly. Yes, because <laughs> this is no joke. I mean, when was the last time we saw a roses tub? I don't think I've ever seen a roses tub. Can you even see that? Is that on camera? Yeah. Anyway, should we give it now? Or is it too distraction? Too distracting? Too distracting? Too distracting? Okay. Okay. Relax. Okay. We'll give it after. It's not going to go anywhere. Right. Okay. So. Um, uh, there's a couple of things, by the way. I want to make an announcement right at the beginning and then also towards the end as well. Um, uh, we are looking for new folks who can help us out in our writing team, uh, helping for our transcription of notes. Uh, they are nearly almost all complete. Every single thing that has been done, especially the extra, which took a lot of time, which was the uh, additional class that we did on menstruation, and then a few more lessons will be up to date in, in you know the next week, inshallah. Uh, but we do need some help. So folks who are good in English... Uh, especially grammar, got a sharp eye for things like that, and are able to help transcribe. It's an awesome effort, and uh, we want to you know, try and make it even better. And we just need a few volunteers if you are willing to give some time. So especially those guys who are online, um, if you can... Um, uh, 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 what was the word? LP note-takers? LP note-takers at gmail.com. Shazad will put it on the portal right now. LP note-takers at gmail.com. Uh, if you could just email that and uh, with that and the team will then help you out in that, in that inshallah. And if you, especially if you have Arabic language, even a little bit of understanding of it, then that would be a great help. But if you don't, we can still be, uh, you know, you'll still be of great help inshallah. Um, the other thing, of course, I want to give a, a thank you to the people in Sweden uh, where I was on the weekend. And of course, uh, some of you will know 
I wrote about it on Facebook that myself and uh, Shazad we went to the north, uh, northern parts of, uh, of Sweden, a place called Kiruna, which was near, uh, basically near the border, nor, nor, near the Arctic Circle. Might have even crept into the Arctic Circle. I'm not too sure what the, the radius of how it works, but super north, obviously, not very cold at all. We uh, we missed out on our main aim. Uh, we went to see a really, we went to see a really vivid uh, northern lights. We did get to see it, but not as clean as we wanted to. It was very warm, actually. It was like six, seven degrees. And, uh, you know, it might normally be minus 30 at this time, minus 25, whatever. And that, that cold, you know, helps. But what was interesting is I wish that I could have done, and I really should have, to be honest, just recorded the session from there, just to show you, especially LP guys, especially those that have been with us in the last few months, at the end of last year, um, on the issues of the prayers. Because if you remember, when it comes to the prayer times, we've been discussing that a lot. That is so linked to you know, the issue of the sun. And we went into a lot of detail about how the issues concerning the differences of opinion of a Fajr and Isha are to do with the sun and it being underneath the horizon and the angles. You remember we discussed 18 degrees, 17 degrees, all that kind of stuff. Um, well, it's fascinating to go to an actual area where the solar angle, the solar angle on the horizon certainly, is so, it's, the, the sun, the tilt, the angle that the sun is hitting the, the earth at because of the tilt of the earth at winter time means that you don't actually see a sunrise. And that means you don't actually see a sunset. The sun is permanently below the horizon. It doesn't mean that it's pitch black. Oh, okay. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that you've got areas which are pitch black. Okay, But what you have is that the sun will never go above the horizon because of the tilt of the earth at that time in the winter time. And it only happens for a small period of time. It's Ajib, actually, if we'd been there a week ago, a week ago, we would have seen the sun come up and down for about five minutes. So you'd have seen it come up and then down and, and so on. But five minutes, five, six, seven days ago, it basically has got to a stage where now it's right on the horizon, underneath the horizon, if you like, and just the twilight is coming off the sky, into the sky, coming off the, off the sun, if you remember how we described that. And so uh, that's going to remain for the next few weeks, I believe, not long. And then you'll start to see the angle then change and the sun will rise and then come back down very quickly. So what was fascinating is that therefore, as you guys know, that if no sun rises and no sun sets, meaning you don't see a sun, then there's only really two prayers that arguably can be prayed, three practically, but no dhuhr and asr, right? So fajr you know is in because you've got a certain level of light. Right, and that light is very clear to see that this is just pre-sunrise light. Yep. So that was easy to work out. But then the uh, and Maghrib and Isha, well, the sun is absent, so that's clearly Maghrib. And Isha is the easiest of all because it gets pitch black. You know, like eight o'clock, nine o'clock, ten o'clock when the sun goes really, really far, then it does get black. So it's easy to see. But Dhuhr and Asr, you can't see it. So uh, what was interesting is that there were people. Um, there are people there, uh, the Muslims, and there's quite a good Muslim population. There's like 700 Muslims there, and they've set up a masjid. They've got like their own imam, and it's only like a few thousand population. Yeah, but it's like a service industry. Lot, lots of people are just going there for like, you know, skiing and for for seeing the lights and stuff. So they they're, they're working and servicing the hotels and stuff. Um, they were following like five or ten different opinions on the issue of the prayer. 
all different individuals following different opinions. So there were some, for example, that were dividing 24 hours into equal parts and then yeah, and calculating a period. There were some that were just following Makkah times regardless of what's happening outside. So literally they were just transplanting times in. There were others that were following Istanbul, uh, Turkey, sorry, as the nearest Muslim country. And then there were others which were a number of, a number of opinions which were around the kind of opinion that we would have adopted. So what they basically were doing is that the amount of light that was shining off the sun, even though it's below the horizon, was creating enough light in the sky for a period long enough for us to consider it like a day. All right. Now, technically speaking, if the sun does not rise and set, then we don't have a day. However, this is what I found very interesting and why I like this opinion. The European Council of Fiqh, what they did, um, they went there last year and they visited and they thought mm-hmm. about it um, and they gave a fatwa. And that fatwa now, alhamdulillah, has unified all of the people. They're all following it now, which is good to see. Um, what they basically did is that, yes, we don't have a legal day, which means that we don't have a legal fajr and a legal dhuhr uh, and asr, which is fine. However, what we, uh, 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 what we do have is a pseudo-legal clear amount of daylight, daylight without sunlight, okay? Meaning that if, I, uh, if you look at five o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, it's pitch black. But at 6.30 and 7 and 8 and 9, it's a clear increase in light. And then at 9.30 odd, we've got a real bright day with a lot of orange on the horizon that was saying that it's about to rise, but it never does. And it remains like that for another four or five hours. And then you can see that after that four or five hours, yeah, and basically what Maghrib would be, you can see the sun now starting to go down, down, obviously further away, and darkness sets in really quickly. So at five, three o'clock, four o'clock, it's pitch black. Okay? So I thought it was very clever what they did. They basically said that we will then take this daylight kind of period and we'll call it a day. When actually all it is is basically, if you look at the three twilights, astronomical, nautical, and civic, Okay, or civil twilight, it's basically display of something in between nautical and civil twilight as the beginning, and civil and nautical as the end. And they took that period of time, made it like six, seven hours, okay, and then they divided it into equal parts, and they did a ratio of when Dhuhr would come in, and Asr would come in, whatever. That sounds great, except that it has a little bit of a problem where, according to that, the maths works, the division works, you get a 1145 you get 11.43 Dhuhr, but Asr starts at 12.03. So literally got 20 minutes. Literally. Okay? So it's a tight one. That, and then obviously Maghrib then kicks in at uh, 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 1.30, 1.40 or whatever like Yani. So it was amazing. The point was is that, is that it's very nice to see fiqh in action. Understanding the, the different realities and how you respond to it. So anyway, anyway. Uh, okay, so last week we were finishing off the issue of um, what are those reasons that uh, establish the, uh, uh, the, the changing of the order uh, for the prayer. Okay, and I just wanted to mention one thing, and that is that Sheikh Uthameen asks, are there any other possible reasons okay, um, that would let us yani, change the order? So if you remember, we spoke about yani, other prayers coming in other obligatory prayers 
you know, do you maintain the order? Everyone, everyone com- comfortable with what we covered last week, yes? All right? That whenever you have missed prayers or you need to make up prayers because, you know, you were asleep or whatever, you need to do it in order. Yeah? It's very straightforward. And the only time that you don't is that if an immediate, if you forget or if you can make, you know, it, it slips your mind or if the current prayer is about to expire. And if the current prayer is about to expire, then that always gets the priority. And then you pray the others that you've made up in order. Okay? Um, what I was going to add is, um, how about a jama'ah? How about a jama'ah? Yani, you have a congregational prayer, which is about to be, to be prayed. That's very different from the time running out. Yeah? Did we cover this last week? Mm-hmm. Briefly, what did I say? Oh, right, okay, good. So, you can understand that we've got five minutes left for Maghrib, and you haven't prayed Asr, okay? You've had a complete nightmare, you just walked in, mad traffic, whatever, whatnot, okay, or whatever reason, and you haven't prayed Asr, and Maghrib is nearly finished, and you've got five minutes left in Isha. If you've got five minutes left until Isha, that means you've got five minutes left to pray Maghrib. Not enough time to pray Asr, okay? Asr is gone. Qurban Okay? So... We pray Maghrib, at least we get Maghrib in. Maghrib was prayed in its legal time, alhamdulillah. Now, whatever time it is, whether it's a minute left or whether not, or whether Isha has started, now you'll pray your Asr. You couldn't have made your Asr any worse, frankly. You missed it, all right? And whatever is upon you is upon you, but the Maghrib at least you salvaged. Pretty sense, yeah? However, what if you haven't prayed your Asr, and it's getting late, and you make that call that you're on your way, to home, and you see a masjid. So you pull over to the masjid, you say, I'm going to leg it in, I can see that Maghrib started 10 minutes ago, but I'm going to leg it in, and I'm going to pray my Asr. You do come in, and they're praying Maghrib. Got it? So, you haven't prayed Asr, they've prayed Maghrib, they're praying Maghrib, you are obliged to keep the order of prayers. What do you think happens here? He joined the Imam of the intention of the Asr Salah when he finishes. So you join. So so uh, let me just read uh, the, the the setup. Okay, let me just read the the setup. Um, is that just change over? Oh, it did. Yeah. Um, Sheikh says, "والقول بأنه يسقط الترتيب." بخوف فوت الجماعة مبني على القول بأنه لا يصح أن يصلي خلف من يصلي صلاة أخرى. Okay, so the uh, the issue of ترتيب. Okay, the issue of ترتيب about maintaining the order is entirely dependent upon another very important issue, and that is: Is it permissible to pray behind a person with a different intention? Okay, is that clear? This huge issue. Is it permissible for a person to pray with my intention, so my own prayer, behind another person, another prayer? Because if you think about it, if you don't answer this question, okay, then you've, you're, you're cutting your own, you know, your own feet off. Because if you believe that that's okay, then we don't have a problem, right? If you believe that it's okay, then you could actually join an imam who is praying yani, a later prayer, with the intention for your earlier prayer, and you could then pray your prayer, after, the, the next prayer afterwards. And so you would have maintained the order, and then the jama'ah thing does not come into a problem. Does that make sense? Yeah? So, for example, if you believe that it is permissible to pray Salatul Asr behind a person praying Maghrib, 
Okay, so the Imam says Allahu Akbar and you say Allahu Akbar. Now you've got to pray four raka'ah and he's praying three. Okay, so he will then, if you say that's permissible, then he will then finish the three and you will stand up and pray one. Okay, or for example, you walk into the masjid and you haven't prayed dhuhr and the Imam is praying asr, then it's just four and four and you will join with him and you will end with him, but your intention was always for dhuhr and his was for asr. Now, this is a famous discussion in fiqh. And it is coming in about, I don't know, 150 pages. Yeah, and probably at the end of this year or next year. Okay? And that is in the chapter of the Niyyah. All right? Which is a huge chapter, lots of discussions. But I just want to give you a quick summary of the situation now. The scholars differed over this. I don't, I don't even want to say that there's a majority or because there is down the, down the middle. Okay? The Hanafis are well known. The Hanafis do not allow mixing of Niyyat. Okay? And it's well known and it's a safe position and it's clear. However, is it in line with the evidences? The Hanbalis do allow it. So do the Shafi'is. And in fact, if you were to argue in terms of numbers, in terms of madahib, probably you'd say the majority do allow it. Okay? And they have three key evidences, which I just jotted down. The first evidence is the hadith, which is in Bukhari, uh, hadith 5755. This is the famous hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal, radiallahu an. The Prophet ﷺ and Mu'adh would pray Isha together. And then Mu'adh got permission to go back to his village and lead his people in Isha. His would be what prayer? Mm-hmm. Nafil prayer. Okay, because he's prayed Fard already. What would be their prayer? Mm-hmm. Fard prayer. <coughs> Two different intentions and the Prophet ﷺ allowed it. Okay, so a person who is praying an obligatory prayer is praying behind someone who is praying a Nafil prayer. No problem. The other hadith is a hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas. Hadith narrated again by Bukhari, hadith number 667. This is the famous one where Abdullah ibn Abbas was staying around uh, the house of the Prophet ﷺ, who woke up for tahajjud, and whilst he was praying, then Abdullah ibn Abbas also woke up. And he was a young boy, and when he saw the Prophet ﷺ praying, he said, I'll go and join him. Okay? And so he went, and this is the famous hadith where he went, and what did he do? Anyone remember? Correct, yeah, he went and stood on the wrong side. So you stood behind it on his left-hand side. Yeah, when two people are praying together, you stand on the side, okay? So Abdullah ibn Abbas, he, he, was, he stood there, and he said that the Prophet ﷺ took me by the head, like this, and he moved him around him, and like that, within the prayer. So this hadith, of course, is full of so much fiqh, because obviously it shows you that uh, the nature of the prayer, the fact that there is movement allowed in the prayer, the fact that movement can be so significant to do something like that, that the nafil prayer is a lot more flexible than the obligatory prayer, etc., etc., etc. Anyway, the point was is that he moved him around and he placed him to his right-hand side and he continued praying and nothing happened after. What do we have here then? The proof that a person can change intention from praying by himself to becoming an imam. So the point is that attention, intention can change. Uh, this does not support the point that we're talking about by the guy behind, Abdullah ibn Abbas, because he hadn't prayed a singular prayer. Okay, he hadn't prayed a singular prayer. He just joined you, so that doesn't. It just shows that intention can change. That's a, a, a separate point. Another hadith which is very similar to that is the hadith of Anas. Ibn Malik radiallahu an, when he went and he said, uh, Sahih Muslim, I believe, yes, Sahih Muslim, 1104, 1104, he said that the, it was Ramadan and the Prophet ﷺ came upon him at night time and he was praying. So I went and I joined him and I stood by his side. And then other folks then saw us 
And what they did is that then they brought us back and then they lined up properly. So then now we now have a person praying on his, uh, by himself, sallam, and then now a line of folks, men, uh, as well as this young boy, now all praying in a jama'ah. And, and the Prophet sallam, and Anas then said that the Prophet sallam, then quickened his prayer and finished it because he wasn't happy with that. Okay, he wasn't happy with that. What was he not happy with? Not the fact that his intention changed because he carried on the prayer. But the fact that they had joined him in a prayer which he didn't want them to be joining him in, so that it didn't become too formal, so it doesn't become like an obligation upon the people. We know in the hadith of Bukhari, the other one, that when he came out in Ramadan for one or two nights, then the people started to really gather in big yani rows, and on the third night when he saw this, he didn't like it, so he didn't come out the rest of the nights, and he did that, and he said, that I did that so that it doesn't become obligation upon you. So that's why Tarawih is a sunnah prayer, or nafil prayer. Um, there's another fact, even though this did not happen, even though that the evidence so for it is not strong, but we know that the scholars are generally agreed on the fact that if a person is praying uh, behind an imam who needs to go and make wudu, or because he realizes he's got no wudu, that person moves, so, moves forward and he carries on the prayer. He becomes a normal guy and then he becomes an imam. So his thing changes as well, intention changes as well. What I'm trying to say is that it does seem that the intention is not as strict and rigid as people may think. There are certain conditions, don't get me wrong. Don't make it out that a person can willy-nilly just do anything. Like for example, a person who says that I entered into the prayer and then I realized that actually, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, I had prayed, uh, uh, let's think of one. Maybe he joins, uh, okay, yes. He joins the Asr prayer and he hasn't prayed Dhuhr. And halfway through the first rak'ah, he realizes and he says, I haven't prayed Dhuhr. So, Ya Allah, accept it for me as Dhuhr. And he carries on. That's unacceptable because Niyyah is a precondition, it has to be in place beforehand. Okay? So his prayer is actually voided. When he changes his intention, his prayer became void. What was the solution for this guy? Break his salah and then just call Allah. But again, that's it. That's all he has to do. Break the salah, dhuhr, Allahu Akbar, and he's back in again. Yeah, back in the game. So these indicate, as I said, um, according to Sheikh Uthameen, certainly, and Ibn Taymiyyah, and so many of the scholars, but not all. You must know that there are not just the Hanafis, actually. Some of the Malikis maybe, but uh, uh, enough others that don't accept yani, intention. They made many uh, 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 rebuttals. They said that all these prayers are linked to uh, nafal prayers. Every one of these scenarios was, had some nafal aspect. But what you're saying is to do obligatory and obligatory. Okay, So there's an argument. Anyway, the class position is, and it will be, that you are allowed to change the niyyah. And it is uh, supported by, as I said, many of the scholars and many of the evidences. That's fine. And if one isn't. Now, if one isn't following that opinion that you can maintain, then you are not allowed to break the prayer uh, order. Okay? You're not allowed to break the prayer order. And you have to then make some kind of solution. If you had the opinion, by the way, and this is important as well, that the jama'ah is a condition for the prayer, which was held by some of the most extreme yani, opinions that are seen in the prayer, such as by the, the literalists, the Zahiriya. Ibn Hazm used to hold this opinion. Dawood al-Zahiri yani, used to hold this opinion. That is that a prayer is a condition for it to be in jama'ah. Right? What does that mean, therefore? 
can't pray yourself. You can't pray yourself. Alright? You're not allowed to pray yourself. Now, if you're not allowed to pray yourself, and you follow that opinion, and you do not follow the opinion that you can combine, uh, have different intentions, now then we now have our next point, which is that it is permissible to break the order of a prayer in this scenario because of the congregation. Because if you are facing a congregation, you know you have to pray in congregation because you just admitted that you are not allowed to pray by yourself. You've got to pray in congregation. And number two, you don't believe it's permissible to stand behind this imam and have the intention for uh, asr while he's praying maghrib. And so that's gone upside down. Yep. So then in this scenario, it is permissible for him to do what? For this particular guy, pray the jama'ah pray the jama and then? And pray Asr afterwards. Out of order, but it was okay. Does that make sense? Yes? As for those who said that, no, it is okay to combine, to have different intentions, it's easy as we just said. He joins the Salah, he makes his own intention, Imam makes his own intention, and that's it. By the way, as I said, the condition that the prayer, the Jama'ah is a condition for the prayer, is a strict opinion and not one that I uh, accept. And the majority don't accept, in fact. Yes? One of the hadith, uh, of one of the hadith, one of the companion, when they free the salah, he, this companion came in the masjid late, and so said, who wants, uh, I think, house and dinner, something along these yeah, lines. Yeah, who will give your brother the reward, yes. So, I mean, the person, he led the salah, so that's his first salah. We don't know who led the prayer. That hadith does not mention who led the prayer. But let's say he... But either way, yeah, either way, I mean, yeah. so whoever led the prayer, he's doing the first, the other person who's accompanying him in the yeah. salah, He's got different intention. Yep. And the Sulaim said that's like giving a reward. Uh-huh. So I mean, they both got different intentions. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, the, the, the issue, as I said to you, the issue is not a problem. Uh, there are enough evidences, you know, a hundred more to show that there were different intentions in the prayer. But the response will be that all of these hadith have some combination of someone doing an nafal and the other one doing an obligatory. That's the response, and it's a good response. Shaykh Uthameen's response to that is different. He said, to the one who says this, we say that the opposite. There is no evidence to make a difference for rules in the obligatory that have been established in the nafal. So meaning that just because nafal is involved from one side, does not mean that we can't apply it to obligatory. You could keep going back and forth, back and forth, because I think that's quite a, not a weak argument, but that's an argument which also opens yourself up to a number number of responses, because people will say, all right then, is it allowed to pray the obligatory prayers on a camel? Because the Prophet used to pray the nafal on a camel. And he'll say no. But then he'll respond and he'll say, but these are specific situations where it's clear that there is no generality to them, and therefore, it's a back and forth, back and forth. That's why we say, Valid opinion to hold both is matter of ishtihad. And for those that say, yes, it's permissible to come back to have a different intention, then we will go with that as a class position. Yes. I to ask, um, you know, what about the hadith where um, Abu Bakr, the one who was leading the salah, mm-hmm. um, so obviously he's the imam. Yes. And then the press system came and then he became the imam. So yep. became yeah. So, so what would this achieve at best? It would achieve a change of intention of imam to singular, right? And it wouldn't help us in the issue of um, can a person pray an obligatory prayer with a different intention behind the other one, okay? 
by the way, just for your own interest, this hadith is, is one which there is also a big difference of opinion over. There are some people who said that Abu Bakr as-Siddiq did not actually, he still remained the imam. And there's some that said that the Prophet ﷺ led the prayer but while seated. Actually, there's a huge discussion about this hadith. It's a very difficult hadith, actually. One of the hadith about the last days of the Prophet ﷺ. Yes? You mentioned that Hanafis, they, they take the opinion that you can't see the intention. Is that just in fart or in nafal I don't know. But we'll, we'll come to that in detail you know, later when it's right time. Someone says that in regards to the hadith of Mu'adh, would it then be allowed to pray jama'ah in the masjid? Then when you go back to your house, you then lead your family. Not always, but sometimes in order to encourage them to pray. And the answer is yes, it is allowed. It is absolutely allowed and a good act as well. Okay. Um, and okay. So uh, what can we... Now, I just want to just deal with one issue, which is a really difficult one that I also have something to say about as well. And that is a scenario where you are a traveler. All right. This is a classic scenario. You're a traveler, you didn't pray Maghrib, okay? Or maybe you've not a traveler, but you just forgot to pray Maghrib or whatever, okay? And you arrive at the masjid and they're praying Isha, okay? So this is a real headache of a situation, okay? A real headache because he is praying yani, more than what you are praying, yes? And not only is he praying more, but it's like an inconvenient more. It's like if a two or four we can work out, but a three and a four, that's a mission, all right? It's a real headache. So what happens here then? Okay? And I've, 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 I've said this before in my fiqh salah classes when I covered this issue. Because it's not really meant to be here. But to be honest, I don't know whether we'll get a chance later on. So I just want to talk about that now. Um, I remember uh, um, when I first met one of my teachers, Sheikh Muhammad bin Hassan al-Dadu al-Shanqiti, in 1990-something, okay, late 90s. He had come to England on a uh, to do a a course on usul al fiqh, and I was obviously you know I was completely yani, starstruck yani, when I met him in London. Okay, and I went to he did it in Al Muntad al Islam. I remember, and I was just trying to find any kind of excuse to just to, to speak to the guy. Yeah, I got him in a, got a moment. I couldn't think of anything to ask him, and I wanted to make myself look clever as well. Yeah, because I thought because I had a, I had an ulterior motive. I wanted him to give me a tazkiyah, which is basically a letter of reference to allow me to get into his uncle's uh, madrasa in Mauritania, okay, uh, which is called uh, Umul Qura, right? A couple of hours out from the capital. So I had an ulterior motive, so I thought I've got to ask a real cracker. I've got to show some fiqh, I've got to show some quality, I've got to show some... I was young, but I was, I was like 20, I think. Yeah, I was like 20 or 19 or 21, something like that. So I said to him, Sheikh, huh? Yeah. I'm an old guy, I'm I'm look at this. Finished, yeah, I finished. I was looking at this picture yesterday, there's nothing left now, but I'm gone now, class. Now you'll start to see me now, I'll shrink and I'll shrivel and I'll just, I'll become an old prune like this and a white prune like that. You'll be seeing before I was an old man like this. And then, and then LP, year seven, I'll just be like this. White, white, white everywhere. Anyway. So, um, and I remember I, I went up to him and uh, I said, Sheikh, uh, um, said the issue of a person who is combining Maghrib and Isha, and he comes to the masjid, okay? Should he do it like this and should, or should he do it like this? Is what I said. He said, Ya Ibni, 
which is a bit, to be honest, which is now when I think about it, it's also a bit you know, rough because he wasn't that much older than I was to call me my son, yeah? Okay? At that time, he was only probably about 30-something, yeah? Okay? So he goes... No, come on, behave. 10 years? Your dad at 17, yeah? Yeah, 17, I'll, I'll give you 17. 10 years? 17 years, no, he said 20. Yeah, I was my 20. I said he was about 30-odd. You can't call a guy my son at, at 10 years. You can but, you know, it's a bit weird that. Anyway, so he goes to me, he goes to me, there are nine opinions on the matter. I said, bloody hell. <laughs> are you kidding me? I, was, I didn't want to make myself look like a plum. I said, yeah, those opinions as well. <laughs> and it was like literally, you know, first impression is always the ones that last. It was a computer he was. The first opinion, da 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 da. Second opinion, da 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 da. Third opinion, da 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 da. And each time he would say, "Who held the opinion? By name, by this, by that, whatever, whatnot." Right? I mean, I asked the guy a random question, and he's got it memorized in his head. Yeah. Fourth opinion, fifth opinion, sixth opinion, seventh opinion, eighth opinion, ninth opinion. I said, "Okay." I said, "Okay." <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So then I go. I said to him, "Okay." I said to him. This is the classic mistake, Yanni, you know, classic Salafi thinking. I said, so, what's the strongest opinion, Sheikh? <laughs> what's the strongest opinion, Sheikh? Because we're Salafis, you know what I mean? We only go for the strongest opinion. So he goes, he goes, well, there's no strong opinion. There's nine opinions. It's first opinion, second opinion, like this. I got taught a lesson that day, yeah. I got taught a lesson. He goes, as for us, Asadat al-Malikiyah, he goes, as for us, the Malikis, then this is the opinion that we choose. Okay, and I'll be honest with you, I have stuck to that Maliki position ever since because I have also, I mean, that when, I, when, I, when I became older and I thought about it more and more and I studied it, I became more convinced of the fiqh of that position. Okay, so the Maliki position on this, all right, is, 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 is a complete cop-out actually, is that you skank off the jama'ah completely and you pray outside basically your missing prayer and then you come in and if you catch something of the isha then good and if you don't then... You missed it. And to be honest, that for me is spot on, that is. Okay? So the idea is, because look at the problem. If you come in and join, right, you're going to have to end up doing something weird. Okay? Weird number one is that you catch him in the first rakah, which means that after three, you're going to have to sit down. When imam stands up, imagine, full masjid of people, yani, pray, are standing up, and you're sitting down, Everyone's going to be thinking you're the plumber of the universe, yeah? <laughs> or you've had a heart attack, or you've, you know, whatever. Something, yeah. Something, yeah. Something the people would might stop the prayer and they'll come around and check you, okay? Oh, who knows what might happen, yeah? Now, if you stop after three rakah, three things are going to happen. No, no, two things are going to happen. Either A, as is the position that's been narrated in one opinion from Imam Ahmed, okay, is that you actually will remain there like that. And wait for the imam to catch you up. So the imam will give salam and he's prayed four. And you were just chilling and you prayed three. That's it, job done. The Shafi'i position, and it's also a, a position of Imam Ahmed, another riwayah from Imam Ahmed, is that you would finish your prayer. You would give salam and then jump up quickly and try to catch him before he gives. So you got at least one rakah of Isha, and then you stand up and finish off three. Okay? I can stomach that position. 
I can stomach it, even though it hurts, to be honest. Yeah, even that's a bit, yani, you know. The third scenario is that you wouldn't join in the first rak'ah, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Unintentionally, I can see that happening very easily. Just, you know, Dwardo, as he comes to the, you know, walking really slow and just say, come on, man, hurry up, and go for a quarter quickly, and then let him go for a quarter, and then get back up, and then you join the salah. So you miss the first rak'ah, and then you just pray with the imam, and then you give salam at the same time at the end. He ends up praying four. You only caught him for three, and you pray three. Result. Yeah? And so those are, as I said, those are three opinions which are supported, as I said, by scholars. Okay? Because it's never happened in the sunnah. So it's all ishtihad. Because there's no precedent from the Prophet Wasallam. all of these are people just using their different kind of aql. What about here, for example, in the summertime, when they're going over the Shah? Yeah? Which, which for me, what you just explained there is one of the reasons why it's such a batil position to have this consistent or constant combining of a maghrib isha in a masjid at an official time. It's just completely unacceptable. You know, during the summertime, knowing a masjid is going to do that. If you want to follow that opinion, do it at home yourself. Yeah, no, I know you come from maghrib and they're praying isha. You missed, you don't know. And, and that shouldn't happen in a masjid, okay? Uh, I mean, that's enough, but that's another point altogether. So like I said, these opinions where you join the congregation, in my personal opinion, and of, of course, the Hanafis and the Malikis and whatever, you are producing something unnatural that you are going to do, which goes against the hadith, that the imam has been placed to be followed. And you are actively differing from him in these three scenarios, okay? The remainder from... Position number four all the way to nine are all combinations of the following. Meaning that you don't come into the masjid, number four. four. Number five, you, you do come in but you pray out of the way of the people. And this was the Maliki position and that would work because Muslim country and they have the courtyard outside as you can imagine and you can do it. Number six, you would come in and like the Hanafis do at morning time, you know, pray in front of everyone. Right? Sunnah prayer right at the back. Don't care about anyone, who cares? And then just join the salah, end of. Number seven would be that you would pray the Maghrib. Uh, sorry, you would pray the Isha. And this is his relevance to this chapter here. What happens? Order is broken and you don't need to worry about it. Because we follow the opinion that once you yani, establish the Jama'ah, if you follow the opinion that the Jama'ah is a valid reason to break the order, well then the order is broken. And you just pray your Isha with them. And then you go back and pray Maghrib and it's a night for you. That's it. And then the final opinion, I think the final opinion, uh, or the penultimate opinion, because I can't think of another one, but maybe you guys can think of one, is the other opinion which I adopt if you are in the masjid. Now, if you are in the masjid, there'll be two scenarios. So there was, I was here last week with some visitors from London and they had got caught in the traffic and they had not been able to uh, uh, pray their Maghrib. And Isha was about to start. I said, quick time, pray your Isha. And one guy was able to pray before the Iqama went. So his was job done. And the other guy... Maghrib, sorry, Maghrib, yeah, beg your pardon. He was able to knock out Maghrib real quick, and then he joined the Imam for Isha before Iqama had done. The other guy had gone for wudu, and so I, I wasn't able to tell him. Basic brother, he wasn't able to, you know, whatever. So he joined out Isha. Afterwards, I went up to him. I said, by the way, you didn't pray Maghrib, did you? He goes, oh yeah, I forgot Maghrib. 
So this final opinion, which is my opinion, which is in this scenario, is that he has to now pray Maghrib and Isha again. What he prayed with the Imam was a Nafal, and now he has to pray Maghrib and Isha again. That will be based upon an opinion which is different to what we're talking about here, which is that the Jama'ah does not give an excuse to break Tartib. I repeat, that's when the Jama'ah, the congregational prayer, does not give you an excuse to break the order of the prayer. If you do not break the order of the prayer, that if you're not allowed, if, we, if you follow the opinion that the congregation does not allow you to break the order of the prayer, then what does that mean? It means that, that therefore, if you did pray the congregation, it meant nothing. Because you still have to maintain the order. So now you now need to go back and pray Maghrib and then follow it with Isha. Because you can't have, if you don't, if you believe that the order is an obligation, then Maghrib has to have Isha after it. And if you've prayed Isha first with Maghrib, no, then you have to now pray Maghrib by yourself, Isha by yourself, and whatever. So there's about nine, ten opinions I just mentioned there. Did you understand? Of course, he intended for Salah. But if we say, that tartib, order, is an absolute obligation which does not drop because of a congregational prayer, then whatever he did is pointless because he has to go back and maintain order. So he needs to go pray Maghrib and Isha. Yeah? Yes. And I, that is my position, by the way. That is my position. I, I, will, re, I, will, I will conclude what Sheikh uh, says in a minute. Yeah. I would ask, what is the level of importance of joining Jamaat? So, for example, those brothers that missed Maghrib, yes. could they not make up the intention of combining and then, even though there's a Jamaat going on, could they not just keep away from the Jamaat on the Maghrib? So, so you're asking about two things, okay? Well, you're asking about one thing, but the other thing is more important. It's not about how important the jama'ah is, which there was obviously different opinions. Some said, as I said, the condition of the prayer. Some said it's an obligation. Some said it's recommended, which is my position and the position of the majority, that it is recommended to pray. But so you would so you would say, right, if it's recommended to pray, I need to pray my maghrib. Yep. So that's not the hadith in play here. The hadith in play would be, is it permissible for you to establish a congregation or another prayer at the same time that another one is being prayed? That's the problem. And that's why we say that the Hanafi opinion and the Maliki opinion, which is that they get around that by basically praying away from the people. And away is a judgment call. Would it be another room? Would it be outside? Whatever. That's why when people ask me on the phone this situation, I'm on the way, listen, I'm, I'm outside the masjid and I've got this situation. I tell them all the time, go home. Don't give yourself the headache. Just go home. Go home. Pray your Maghrib and Isha. You messed up, you, you, you lost out the, the Isha Jama'ah because of your own lack of planning. And go home, take the hit, and pray Maghrib and Isha at home. If this was a Muslim country, I'd be saying to him, pray Maghrib just here outside. Yeah, whether, you know, nice and warm and everything and dry and marbled. And then come in and then join in for the Isha prayer. You see, now, obviously the answers are going to differ according to the scenario at hand. Is that clear, everybody? Yeah. So now you know what happens if you come. Now I just want to conclude this point. This is what Sheikh then says. Um, he says, Therefore, فصار عندنا من مسقطات ترتيب خمسة أشياء وهي So there are five things that allow you to what, not cancel, change, uh, alter, alter the, uh, the order. Yeah, okay, so the order is obligatory, of course. But five things will allow you to do that. Allow, allow you to drop these uh, the order. The first one is forgetfulness. Okay, we said that last week. And the second, number two, if you fear that you're going, the, the if you fear that the uh, prayer time is going to run out for the current one, 
So if you fear that the current prayer is going to run out, then you pray that, and then you pray the other one later. The third is if you fear Jum'ah is going to go. Okay? Jum'ah. Remember, we discussed Jum'ah last week, isn't it? We said that that yani, is one. And then the fourth would be uh, not knowing uh, 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 that the, the congregation is going to go, fearing that you're going to miss on the, the congregation. And so therefore, to avoid that, you join the congregation, and then you don't need to make it up. That's according to that opinion. And then fifth is just ignorance. You just didn't know. You're not sure. You didn't know. Sheikh says that the Hanbali Madhab accepts the first three opinions only. The Hanbali Madhab yani, accepts forgetfulness, the time running out for the current prayer, and the Jum'ah, yani, missing the Jum'ah. So the missing Jum'ah, as I said, was a person who hasn't prayed Fajr, but he has only got time to pray Jum'ah. We said you pray the Jum'ah because that's going to go when you can't catch that again, then you pray Fajr afterwards, okay? As for the fourth and fifth, the Madhab does not accept these two as excuses. Was-Sahihu, but Sheikh Uthameen says that they are both acceptable. Sheikh Uthameen says they are both acceptable. And that's the class position, okay? It is the class position that a person who fears the Jama'ah going will allow him to break Tartib. That is the class position. And I just want to make myself very clear here what I'm about to say because it's important because you're going to write it down. That is based upon the fact that Sheikh Uthameen and, and majority allow a person to have a different intention. Praying behind the, the Imam and having a different intention. Now, if you do not have that different intention, I want to say personally speaking, personally speaking, that I do not think that the, the, the congregation allows you to change the order. Sheikh Uthameen does. Is that clear? That situation doesn't come for me. It doesn't... I'm only mentioning that academically because it doesn't actually work in real life because I always believe that you can have the intention behind the imam to pray a prayer, you see? But I'm saying that if I didn't, if I didn't believe you could pray behind the imam, if Sheikh Uthameen didn't believe you could pray behind the imam, for him, he's saying that, well, you don't need to then maintain order. I'm saying you would need to maintain order, like the humblies say. Okay? That's my personal position. However, as I said, for the class, it doesn't matter because we believe that you can make a different intention behind the imam anyway. So you'd never have to worry about, Yani, missing, missing up the order. You could always make the intention for the earlier prayer that you're missing behind the imam who's praying the later prayer. And then you pray the later prayer alone by yourself. That's the class position. That's the class position. Um, okay? What, yes. What's the uh, reasoning behind praying uh, outside of the Maghrib and um, the reasoning for praying outside is to maintain the order. We've got that. Yeah. One opinion is to pray in the corner. Yeah. So, the, cor- the, so the, the opinion in the corner is just a more braver, blatant version of the other one. Because, as I said, there are some people who believe that it doesn't matter what people say, what people think. Some scholars say that it's very important to not have a negative opinion, to not create a negativity, which always happens. Like in this masjid, Right or actually any masjid, when you see the jama'ah established and you see people that come into the masjid and start praying two sunnah at the back, it is a horrible thing because the Prophet ﷺ very clearly said that that shouldn't happen. So some scholars took this reality and they made a fiqh like rule out of it. Now, if you already allow sunnah to be prayed because it's so important, then it doesn't really matter so much about whether he's there in front of you or not. The other scholars will say we agree that the order is so important. But we can't have an outright challenge to the imam. Which is what you're doing when you pray there. 
When you're praying right in front of the eyes of the other people, you are challenging them. Now, if you're outside, first of all, majority of people aren't going to see you. The only people who are going to see you are the people who are coming into the prayer late anyway. And you reduce that aib, yani. Yeah? Okay? Or a room on the side if you can get into it before you know people see you or whatever. You could be, yeah, pretend you're making wudu. That is, that is true. That, this is one of the messages that would work. You'd go right through, just, you know, just do that. And you'd walk your yeah, straight through. And then just put your cheeky maghrib and then come back out. And yeah, that's probably what I would do actually if I was to fall in that scenario. Good one. Yes. Uh, how about the. Uh, right, okay. Uh, Mason saying, but based on your story, he did not drop Tartib on purpose. Who didn't drop Tartib on purpose? You said that when you asked him, he said he had forgotten that he hasn't prayed Maghrib. So would he then still have to pray Isha again? Oh, right. Talking about the guy from London, yeah? So would he still have to pray Isha again? Because he had forgotten that he hadn't prayed Maghrib. So. On the issue, she, she has a good point because uh, Nisyan is the first one that a person had forgotten. The problem is, is that he hadn't forgotten to pray Maghrib. He was saying to me that I'm going to pray Maghrib. Right? But then when he came into the masjid, he forgot to do it. This is not what we call full forgetting. This is like a negligence type. Because we were talking about it, etc., etc., and then he didn't do it. Does that make sense? Forgetting is like completely didn't have a clue. It's like yeah, being ignorant of the issue completely. But when we're in the car talking about, okay, guys, you didn't pray Maghrib, we're going to go to the masjid, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Then he comes out and he completely, yeah, and he forgets, right? <laughs> but you can forget any point, can't you? Yeah, you're saying that anytime? Yeah, I think it's... He remember when he came in, but yep. later he forgot. Yeah. So just because when he told you he remembered, doesn't mean he can forget later on. Yeah, no, I think it's a valid point. I think that it is possible for him to have not have prayed again. And to say that no, you know, uh, my my level of forgetfulness was as normal as 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 someone forgetting from the beginning, from five hours ago. But for myself, that I I said no, I, I, and, and I and if that was my, in my case, and I'd forgotten, I still would have maintained the order. I would have still have maintained the order. Yep. I did. I, I, I let him have a discount. I let him pray two rakat, Isha. And not made him pray all four again. Because I'm charitable like that. Come on, man. I'm easy like that. I'm a nice guy. Come on, man. Come on, man. He was a musafir, genuine musafir, miski. Right. Any other questions then before we close that entire chapter? We'll move on to. That's time done. That's been going on that for a long time, by the way. Right? On the issue of time. Of preconditioned. A lot of time on time. Because all of the. That was. Wasn't all of that, that was all of the, you know, times of the prayer and everything, no? Yeah? Yeah. I think all of that was about, anyway, I don't know, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, correct, yeah. That's a big chapter, man. That's an emotional moment there, by the way. We're moving on from, you know, content that we did in Canada, the road trip. We did that, and all the, 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 the designs and the balls going around <laughs> and diagrams. This is a big moment. Okay, I just want you to know that. Right. Okay, Shaz, put on the thingy, uh, uh, whatever. So, we are now in a new chapter. Is it on the board? Yeah. So, Bab Shurut Salah, okay. 
Um, in the actual Arabic text, there's no break, okay? There's no break, uh, 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 there's no new subchapter. This is still continuing on in the conditions of the prayer, but we are now going to make a new document as a result of it. And this will be updated over the next few weeks as we go on and on. So he says in the Arabic, the Mu'allif alayhi rahmatullah, he says, وَمِنْهَا سَتْرَ الْعَوْرَةِ Okay, which is also allowed to say سِتْرَ الْعَوْرَةِ Okay. فَيَجِبُ بِمَا لَا يَصِفُ بَشَرَتَهَا وَعَوْرَةُ رَجُلٍ وَأَمَةٍ وَأُمِّ وَلَدٍ وَمُعْتَقٍ بَعْضُهَا مِنَ السُرَّةِ إِلَى الرُّكْبَةِ وَكُلَّ الْحُرَّةِ عَوْرَةِ إِلَّا وَجْهَهَا وَيُسْتَحَبُّ صَلَاتُهُ فِي ثَوْبَيْنِ وَيَكْفِي سَتْرُ عَوْرَتِهِ فِي النَّفَلِ وَمَعَ أَحَدْ آتِقَيْهِ فِي الْفَرْضِ وَصَلَاتُهَا فِي دِرْعٍ وَخِمَارٍ وَمِلْحَفَ يعني for the obligatory prayers وَيُجْزِئُ سَتْرُ عَوْرَتِهَا يعني it's sufficient just that وَمَنْ 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 إِنْكَشَفْ يعني uncovers إِنْكَشَفَ بَعْدُ عَوْرَتِهِ وَفَحُشْ أَوْ صَلَّ فِي ثَوْبٍ مُحَرَّمْ مُحَرَّمٍ عَلَيْهِ هُوَ يعني أو نجس أعاد يعني الصلاة لا من حبس في محل في محل نجس يعني ده سفشن ده سفشن جواب شاس to the English okay so also so this is the next يعني big condition precondition of the prayer is the covering of the aura. And in the translation, I did not translate aura as nakedness. I left it as aura because we're going to spend a lot of time on that. Is the covering of the aura. It is obligatory to cover it, the aura, with something that does not show the skin. The aura of a man, a female slave, an umwalad, we'll define later, and a partially freed slave is from the navel to the knees. However, the entire body of a free woman, meaning non-slave, is aura, except for her face. It is recommended for a man to pray in two garments. It is sufficient for him, though, to cover just his minimum aura for the supererogatory prayers, the nafal prayers. But he must also, in addition to that, cover one of his shoulders in the obligatory prayer. It is recommended for a woman to pray in a shirt a head covering, and a garment covering the rest of her body. However, it will suffice if she also only covers her aura. If some of one's aura becomes significantly uncovered, or prays in an unlawful garment, or it is impure, meaning the garment, then they must repeat the prayer. One, however, does not repeat it though, if they are confined in a najis place, in a impure place. All right? So that's the text which will cover us, take us for probably a couple of weeks. And I just want to give you the uh, meaning of these three paragraphs in a few minutes, okay? To give you a summary, um, which might actually be a better idea than starting it neat, or I could do that as well. So basically, what's the, what's the uh, leave the text of the English on the screen. Yeah, on the screen screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah on the portal. Okay, so I want you guys to look at the English here, and I'm basically going to give a commentary to it, yani, which will basically cover the next four weeks. Okay, so we're covering the aura, all right, and this word aura we're going to look at, yani, in the first uh, today, I think we'll do. But what does it mean? Where's that word come from? What's the issues, etc.? 
Now, it is obligatory to cover this thing called the aura, or this part of the body called the aura, with something that does not show the skin. Bashar is skin. La yasif bashrataha, meaning that it does not describe the skin. Alright? So, we're basically talking about something which is opaque. Okay? Something which is opaque and not translucent. Okay? Because translucent in the aura part is basically like seeing it itself. That's the idea which is happening here. Okay? The aura of a man, and this is of course something very interesting. This is now talking about the issue of uh, the different categories of people. Now, you can categorize people in different ways. Okay? Normally, people would categorize people in man into woman or to old and child. But sometimes there are categorization which are due to honor. And this is very important and obviously controversial. Okay? We are now categorizing in terms of honor, meaning that is a be and as you can see, a uh, uh, respect and sexualization and etc. etc. Now, the issue of a slave, when a person is free, and that's why the word hur is used in the next one, versus someone who's owned. There is no honor in being owned. That's why the Prophet ﷺ, he changed the status of women who were owned in Jahili time to those who were free, number one. Step two, because people who were slaves, not only are they owned, but they can't own either, which are two negative, uh, two black marks, isn't it, really? So first of all, he changed the situation where women now could be, were free, so now they're not owned, you can't buy women, you can't own women. And number two, then allow them to have their own property, their own yani business, etc., etc. Okay, so a slave is seen in this scenario in terms of honor and two negatives against them, and the aura issues are then adjusted accordingly. So a female slave, a man, are the same, and that is as crazy as that sounds. That means that literally the breasts of a woman who is a slave would not be her aura. Okay. Technically speaking, this is a very legal kind of statement, okay? And Umwalad, which we're going to cover later on, is a slave who is the mother of your child, who is still a, the definition of a slave, but will become completely free upon your death. And we will talk more about her status uh, later as well. And a partially free slave, that's basically someone who is in transferred ownership. Remember, these are literally owned entities. And so if I own 50% or I have sold yani, a slave and a person is owing money, then it's partially owned. It's not fully yours because you haven't paid for it, etc., etc. Then the aura is from the navel to the knees and we will be discussing basically, does that include the navel, the line, does it include the knees, above the knee, does it include the thigh? There's a massive discussion. Okay. Then the woman, the entire body. So according to the Hanbalis, that's hands, and according to the Hanbalis, that's feet as well, or certainly in this reading, as you're going to see, we're going to talk about that, is all aura except her face, okay? Except her face. It is recommended for a man to pray in two thobes. Now, two thobes, okay, the word thobe is not what I'm wearing now, which is what we call today a thobe. A thobe is a garment, okay? So any kind of a, a garment. When it says two, that's basically splitting between a top and a bottom half, okay? Um, however, that's what's recommended, now we're going to see, actually, is that what's recommended or more, okay? But if a person doesn't have enough money or wants to just get by absolutely on the bare bones, then it's actually sufficient for a person to pray the nafal prayer in basically beach shorts or three-quarter lengths, okay? So nothing, any covering the top half and the bottom half completely uncovered, just literally in shorts, okay? However, for the obligatory prayer, the bare minimum, you have to add something that covers the shoulder. And that covering of the shoulder... You know, it's like that Tarzan kind of situation. Yeah? 
where you got a minimum scenario and then you got something which comes over. Was it Tarzan or is it Sumo wrestling? Who wears something across the top? Is that Tarzan? Yeah. It is Tarzan, yeah? I, I mean, it might even just be a scarf. But it looks like there's something going across your body kind of thing. It looks like a, a significant step up. And we'll talk about in detail what do these step ups actually represent, okay? Uh, as for a woman, it is recommended that she wears, as, as you'll see for a man as well, something that is covering the top half, okay? Long top half. A dirt is not a shirt, okay? Just a shirt. It means like a long shirt which comes down. And then something dedicated for the head. And then something which is going on top as well. Now remember, this is being written for that time where cloth is not a lot and the concept of like bras and underwear and all this kind of thing is like a, uh, something which is not developed. Yes? Now, th- that's why it says, however, it will suffice if she only covers her aura. It will suffice if she only covers her aura. Now, you, one of you might say, well, hold on. She was covering all her aura in the, in the first one. Yes? What's the difference then? Maybe you can even argue that she's covering more in the first one. With one garment only. Correct. That's what it means. That when you're covering the aura, you just literally could literally be wearing one garment. You could literally be wearing one jilbab. Yeah, one jubba. That would start at the head and go down. You like the Iranian ones? Yeah? I think this is not the Iranian ones, right? They're like, like a burqa kind of, you know, literally they go, they, they're used for prayer. No, no, bro, behave. Just slow down. Bro, bro. You want to just slow right down. You want to slow, you want to slow down. You just want to... No, charge something different, Yara. Yeah, that's what they were. No, yeah. I'm talking about, yeah, this big thing, which you just chuck on. No, whoa, bro, 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 bro. Slow, slow, right down. Where's the... Put- yeah, I need, You know what I mean? That Iranian one is just like this billowing piece of, you know, stick it on and it's just like, you know, it's just like a big tent basically. Yeah? I'm not saying we don't wear tents but there's a big difference in our tents and Iranian tents. <laughs> right. Anyway, it will only suffice if, yeah. So the point is, is that obviously that's one and that's a lot less respectful than having underclothes and under, under, under garments and so on, like everyone would recognize. Anyway, if some, if some of one's aura becomes significantly uncovered, we're going to learn what does that mean? What does fahish mean? And we'll learn that it has two big parameters, amount and time. Okay, we'll be discussing that. Or praise in an unlawful garment, or is, it is impure, the garment itself, then they have to repeat the prayer unless they are stuck in a place. So there's a lot to cover with that we'll be talking about, okay? So I just want to just start, I think because of the time, I just want to say the following. The word aura, where does it actually come from, okay? Um, and what does uh, sitr mean, or a setr? Setr means to cover literally, to just completely cover. The word aura though, um, here... As Sheikh says on the top of page 149, He goes that, يعني, it's that which, and what he's trying to say is that he doesn't want it to be seen. It's that which he doesn't want to be seen. Right? He doesn't want it to be in front of the people. He doesn't want it to be known about. He doesn't, it, يعني, in, his, in his linguistic sense, it is not something physical all the time. By definition, it can be information. It can be news, it can be humiliating, it can be embarrassment. So you could almost say that it's that which you're embarrassed to show or shy or whatever. And you don't want people to look at it. 
So you don't want people to hear about it, see about it, look at it. And al-awar is al-a'ib. So the meaning of the word in its linguistic yani, uh, meaning of al-awr, okay, or al-awra, is from al-awr, which means a'ib, yani, uh, fadiha. What does a'ib mean? Um, shameful, yeah. A'ib, yani, shameful. So the idea is shameful. And everything that, yani, that, that harms you when you look at it, then that harms you that you look at it, then looking at it is shameful. That's what they're trying to say. If something which you're looking at it, yani is is haram or painful or yani cause some kind of difficult, then looking at it is aib as well. And that's the word aura. Now here's the thing. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yani when you're talking about private parts. Okay, we're going to see how does that even work then? Private parts, how does it build up all the way to covering the rest of the body? The private parts are called private parts, but in every single culture of the world and civilization from the beginning to the end there's an idea that these things are not to be seen in public not only are they not to be seen in public but you'll realize that even people by themselves do not walk around like that because not just from an islamic point of view because it's embarrassing and shameful and in islam especially we have a hadith which we're going to be talking about where the prophet ﷺ was asked about a man who said that that what about when i'm uh, uh with my uh wife he said that's okay what about if i'm alone then the prophet ﷺ said that allah has a greater right to be Shy, meaning that haya, yani istihya rather, is something that people should have just, and we don't have this kind of nudist concept, basically. And Shazad will tell you, okay, right? Shazad will tell you, right? No, 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 everyone's about thinking about attack Shazad. You see this this guy, he started giggling already. Unbelievable. Shazad, unbelievable. I'll tell you his name is Abu Dhar. Yeah, right in front of me, he started giggling. And he had no idea what I was going to say. Shazad, finish off the sentence. These Swedish people, they have got no haya at all. In the cold, they get worse in the cold. And then my eyes been burnt. We had, you know what? I've had to literally, I have to literally schedule in three umrahs just to clean my eyes. Yani. For the three moments, three occasions where we were tested, the eyes were tested, the eyes were burnt. So I'm going to be going yani, on Umrah on, on Friday, inshallah. First Umrah is just for general yani, life. But the three after I'll have to do, just for Sweden. <laughs> All Shazada's fault. <laughs> we went we went to Hakka Halal place. Hakka Halal Hakki Yani gender segregated Hakki Yani Muhtaram Hak conditions that we have to wear bathing suits Hakki Yani everything. We did what we did. But sometimes you realize that what you do is not enough. We live in a world which is really ajib Alani Kaspe. There are people that are just not the same. We are on different poles apart. You know, when you meet people who have got no sharam whatsoever, then as the Prophet ﷺ said, then if'al ma then do what you want. Once you've got no haya, then just do what you want. Oh my God. Maybe even four umrahs will be needed. Maybe a hajj as well. Anyway, I wanted to end on this point. I just want you to think about this. This is food for thought for all you Pakis here, yeah? Because there's a lot of Pakis here, right? Okay. 
Where is the word awra coming from? Yeah, something which is aib, something which is shameful, whatever. And what did the packs call their women? Aurat. <laughs> which goes to goes to show my my opinion, which I said a couple of weeks ago. And I said that most of our misog- misogyny, no, yeah, and all of it actually, but some try to sometimes justify something, comes from our culture and not from our deen. And packs are inherently misogynistic. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you. We, it's part of our culture to just keep women out of sight. Now, you might say, yeah, their intention was not to say that she's shameful. They were using not the linguistic meaning of the word. They were using the final consequence of the word. The final consequence of the word is that it should be out of sight. Yep. That's true. The word is, means those things which are kept out of sight. But the linguistic root behind the word is, why are they kept out of sight? Because they're shameful. Because you are ashamed of it. And so, because we wanted to keep our women covered which is fine, but then to give them that word of awrat, literally calling a woman awra, this is, this is Muhammad, and this is his awra. This is his awrat. This is what we're saying, isn't it? So, this is something that all the packs have got to clear up and balance in their own consciences. Must be from Farsi. <laughs> <laughs> when I tried that a minute ago, yeah. When I tried to free myself of the Iranians, he's like, he's like, yeah, straight from the Iranians. Come on, it's not, it's not from Farsi. Farsi doesn't have orat. I don't think it does. <laughs> it's those Indians. I knew it. You know, they messed us up, man. Those Indians. Guess me. So there you go. Something to think about. Obviously, in the coming sessions, we'll talk about aura and everything. All right. Okay. Let's take some questions. Yes. Um, linguistically, the uh, aura is it linked to dignity? No, not at all. Yani aur, it also also has bad meaning. Not bad. Yani it's it's negative. It's that things which you are ashamed of, it's things which are deficient. Not yani not deficient in, in that it's not right. To be that people know about it, people see it, people, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Salam said, yeah. Allah mustur awrati. Yani in the dua, which is yani, those yani, things I don't want people to know about, my sins basically. We always make yani, dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to make our sins away from the eyes of the people so He doesn't humiliate us. And, um, and yeah. 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 It's quite linked with the, like, the civilization and the people and the norm. And of course, you know, for some people, like in Muslim countries, to wear the scarf or hijab, or it, it's look good and nice and respected and honorable. But when you come to some other countries, then it's looked down upon. And similarly, we have some countries like Arizona and stuff like that. They don't wear clothes, or you know that they don't. They don't naturally feel like okay, you know what? I need to cover my body parts and blah blah blah. You know. So I don't know if it. I think it comes from the civilization, um, you know, we can't say that it does not feel right because, you know, it depends on the person where he's living. Um, yeah, uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I, there's obviously many factors in this, okay? I've got lots to say about this issue because 
I don't think there's just one thing. When you study anthropology, you realize that people and they're, they're, they're changing a kind of, uh, you know, they're changing opinions and they're changing approaches. They are not linked just to location. Okay, it is, there are something there. Like I've always been, I've always wondered myself, suspected is the right word, and seen enough proof to believe that the Chinese, right, <laughs> as a people, are like the most Baha'i people ever. They've got no Haya. They're the most... Yani I'm more worried about them than anyone else. I'm not obviously talking... I'm, it's difficult to speak like this because you generalize. Because just like you say the Americans are, but they're not. So Americans have got some of the most conservative people ever. They like are covered more than Muslim women are. Right? And, you know, I mean, Amish and yani other, other, you know, Christian guys, other Christian sects... And other even Jewish American sects that don't even are linked to Israel or whatever, and then you've got other people as well, other cults and stuff. I'm just saying that just you know, and then Southern states versus the you know the the, the liberal kind of New York and all the rest of it. There's differences in people everywhere, and then you here's the irony: you look at Chinese, okay? And I remember going to a lecture once, Siani, and understanding this Siani from an academic this point, and also I was speaking to a friend as well who was mentioning just you know his fears about the Chinese. And uh, I'm convinced of the, 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 the theory that, that when the world order changes, things are going to get yani, infinitely bad. Like you look at what's happening now at the moment, there's this big slap down on Russia. And fully deservedly so. Okay? Fully deservedly so. But it's only really come to light because America has pushed Russia into the limelight. Okay? Here's the thing. Whilst the Americans have been doing all of this killing and all this kind of, you know, whatever, the Russians have been doing it and the Chinese have been doing it more so than the Americans. And now at the moment, it's just that public opinion is now focused upon Russia, so now it's in our spotlight. The Chinese are in... Yani, did anyone not... Uh, just think about this for one second. Why haven't the Chinese helped out? What the hell did the Chinese do? Why haven't the Chinese gone and sorted out, jumped in and uh, slapped Russia and Iran and even America? Why haven't they... Yeah, and no one's even focusing on them at the moment. Sure, they're not doing the bombing, but they're killing with a far higher impunity many other Muslims in many other places. And they're just waiting for their moment. What I'm trying to say is that when it comes to, when it comes to crimes, there are people out there that are doing all kinds of things, whether it's Muslims with Bashar, on, whether it's Americans, whether it's Russians, whether it's whatever. Here's the point, that when the, when the thing changes, Russia is going to be left behind. Chinese are going to walk all over the Russians, okay? In 10, 20, 30 years, whatever it is. Money-wise, population-wise, technology-wise, and that I think is when the world is going to take an even bigger nosedive than what it is right now. Can you, if you can ever imagine that, yeah. And at least when, and this is the the, the the crazy part. At least Americans and even maybe Russians, okay, have some form of Christian restraint. They have some attempt at justice. They have some kind of connection to God. They do believe in some kind of. Yeah, any requirement of courts and process and innocence and whatever, whatnot. That there are yeah, something. Right? In these places, you still hope and think that someone's going to have a court or, or some justice or fairness. You can maybe appeal to reason despite their constant crimes. I don't think that would be, I don't think that's the case with the Chinese now, let alone yeah, any later. The Chinese, yeah, any, when you look at their approach to killing, they made the killing into an art form. Where it's yeah, and it's so gruesome and so sick and so crazy, you know. Before the Americans were just doing simple things of blowing people up and just you know shooting them in the head, the Chinese were like masters at you know 
carving people up and doing all kinds of crazy behavior and triads are absolutely off their, their, you know, their head. When there's people out there in terms of food, they have an understanding of what is disgusting and what's not and what's whatever. Chinese didn't eat anything. They don't care about anything. Their conditions, whatever. All right? When it comes to nakedness, one of the saddest things of all of my love to Malaysia, of going to Malaysia, Muslim country, is that it is dominated by the Chinese. Yeah, and you know, obviously, you know, you got to pay play politics, and they're far richer, and you know, a lot of Chinese people are in Malaysia living and business, whatever. But you go to China, China, you go to Malaysia, and you will see some of the most bihayai kind of display of nakedness ever in any country. I, I, when I was walking around in Malaysia, I was like, you know, I've had enough of this. You know, going out to like, you know. Kale or the towers or whatever, you see nakedness on a different level, and it's just Chinese women. And they've got no shame whatsoever. Top, bottom, this, that, it's just like no shame. You never saw that. We should say, I never seen anything like that, even 10% of like that in the Western countries. So who knows? I mean, you know, that, that's not, but then, you know, the, the big, the big, the big, uh, the big contradiction then comes that you've got another kind of image of China, which is all about honor and respect, no need for the law. That there is a code which is amongst people which is far stronger, wearing of robes and everything. No one goes around naked. You know the old samurai kind of tradition, the ninja tradition. Yeah. Japanese. Japanese is that Japanese? Yeah, Japanese. No, but it has. But I mean, no connection to the Chinese. Samurai. No, no, a, a samurai and or whatever, but no connection to this tradition into the Chinese. The robes. <laughs> Completely. It does have a Chinese link. Arts, yeah, but 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 uh, but just to make sure, because his point is correct, it is Chinese in origin. In origin, yeah. yeah. So you know that contradiction. So that's why you can never just label a people or just label a civilization. That's my point I was making. <laughs> That each one have got such an extreme display of madness, you know. I, I remember just one story again, but it, it only takes one story. Pakistan, you think of as you know respectful and you know this and that, and you like you know when you read the stories of people who you know chop up people or eat people or or you know rape girls and things like that. You don't naturally think of Pakistan or Muslim country or Muslims. And I will never forget the day that they, that they found that guy. His name was Javed Iqbal, if you can remember. Anyone can remember. I mean, his name is printed in my mind, actually. Uh, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, the one who had, uh, he had uh, chopped and eaten all the kids and uh, whatever, whatnot. Yeah? Yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever city, and like a load, like 50 or 100 or something like that, and burnt everyone. But what I'm trying to say is that you could never imagine whatever our stereotype is, but you never imagine that Pakistani would ever do something like that. You know, you'd think there's enough core basic generic value regardless of religious or not cultural or not what, but there's you just wouldn't so well you know what it is is that you, you gotta you gotta look at now where is where is it that we say that there's a potential for people to lose their dignity without you know, everyone just being labeled as mental because because how far do you take the mental argument I think that you know, uh, uh, if you go down Deansgate on a Saturday night I think every single woman there is 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 is, is completely mental and I think all the men that are there are all mental in the way they're chasing after them. So how they go and dress and what they drink and what they set themselves up for, 
I think they're all mental. And I think all of them, the, the, what the, main, the way the men are thinking. And so what does mental mean now? Do you know what I'm trying to say? They're not mentally sick. They would never be accepted as mentally sick in a court of law. Right? So, you know, does a person who chop up children or whatever, or not, is he mental? Of course he's bloody mental. But then, is he? Where's accountability for crimes? He knows what he's doing. I mean, you know, Mama and could give a lecture on that. That's exactly what he does. You know, deciding whether someone is culpable or not for crimes or not, and that's something else. But I'm just saying that there is a major issue of, of, of shame and honor, which is not just as straightforward as we think it might be. Allah alam. Haji. Start open it. Yeah, yeah. Start this open up. In Uganda. Yeah. So he was from a tribe that was Ugandan, ethnic Ugandan. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The tribal areas of Uganda you want to see. Yeah. So we go in there, he took his clothes off. Everybody that he saw had nothing wrong. He said, if I don't do this, they think you are hiding a disease. Hiding a disease? And he was with me, and he took off his clothes and everything, charged off, and then he said, this is my chief, this is this, is this, this is his wife, and this is no clothes. Thank no you. clothes whatsoever. You're talking about shit? He said, yeah, what's wrong with you? What did you do? Islam is saying, Islam wants to know. You didn't want to take off your clothes. They didn't ask me, I didn't do it. You might even stay around. He went and told us this is my boss. Kampala and all that sort of thing. And so I think it's a gift for the chief and he gave it to me. He's really happy to accept it. And I can have that score now. Shazad wants to say that that's what he saw in Sweden as well. <laughs> Men and women out, just out there, no new discount, no war, no nothing, just naked. I'm going to forget Sweden. But see, I can make an excuse in my mind. I can make an excuse for these tribes because they don't. I don't know. I guess when you're living in that environment with zero out kind of you know connection, I would say two things. Number one, maybe people do have lots to hide than they do. Okay, right. But number two, clothes are an inconvenience. Yeah, and if it's nice and warm, isn't it really? Skins. I mean, yep. the yes, other tribes that just cover the private parts, correct, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think you deserve some chocolate for that. <laughs> I know exactly, man. Tide packs, man. I know one going around not giving. No, no, for you, for you. Yeah. The packs are on point according to the Hendani Mathabia. 
A nudist city. A naked city. In the UK. It's Bagali is. Naked city in the UK. It frees. Abdul Hakim says the Japanese tend to have a stronger focus on honor and respect, although it is found on both. We say Abdul Hakim Zakalah for a chocolate that we're enjoying right now. And that's what I'm Okay, Zakamal Khair. Subhanakallah, we have the Kashadwala, Ilah, and Postal for Allah, and we have to wait for Stamaka.